Hello everyone and welcome back to Southwest London's Women's Rugby World Cup podcast. Uh, my name is Ben and as ever I'm joined by James and Elise. Um, we're back, the dust has settled on the final. Um, pretty sad times for all English uh, fans involved. Um, 34-31, uh, New Zealand ran out with a dramatic victory um, in the last minute, winning the ball from a line-out uh, with England right on their try line. Um, there's a hell of a lot to talk about both in the game um, and the legacy of the tournament, this team, what's next, so much to talk about. Um, so we'll crack right on um, and we'll just sort of get, um, at least I'll go to you first, just your sort of opening thoughts on, I guess, the game as a whole, how it went, um, what your sort of feelings are four days on from, from the match. Yeah, I, I think that you're right. All England fans will be gutted right now. But both teams played excellently. It was a great advert for women's rugby. I think that England can be very proud of their performance. We'll talk a little bit in about uh, in a little bit about the red card and going down to fourteen men. The way England took on that challenge, I thought it was incredible. Um, Sarah Hunter said it best at the end. You know, sport can be cruel, and they were just on the on the receiving end, unfortunately, um, in that final. Um, there's no point really in talking about what ifs. What if um, Lydia Thompson hadn't hadn't um, committed that shot on Portia Woodman? But it happened, and I think they handled it in the best way they could. But it just wasn't enough in the end. Yeah, um, it definitely was a game <clears throat> of fine margins. Um, James, I'll go to you next. Um, we'll start by looking at uh, the the England performance before the red card. Obviously, a lot had been made coming into the final about. Uh, the way England were going to play and you know the way that New Zealand had played and, and those clash of stars but actually in the in the opening few minutes it looked like England were going to hope to be more expansive perhaps more so than we'd seen in this tournament. Uh, yes I was very very happy with the start I think any team scoring within the first four minutes is always good but when you the type of try England scored made it particularly kind of special because you could see the intent was there they've had obviously we spoke about before how much criticism they face for the number of malls and the kind of boring style of rugby but it seemed the intent straight away was to face New Zealand how New Zealand played and to just be expansive get the ball out wide and Ellie Cordon's try in the third minute was exactly that they spread the ball completely across the line and she went in the corner passing Portia Woodman quite easily really and England backed that up uh, about 10 minutes later with, with the driving wall because it obviously it is still a massive part of the game and it's, if you've got an easy five points there if they get a penalty in New Zealand's half you have to kick in the corner and you should more because getting ahead of the game is so important and it would prove to be even more important in this game than ever so I think the second try when um, Cocaine went over from the driving wall was really showing that England had both kind of aspects of the game in their locker they had the expansive rugby which they we knew they could play the team throughout the tournament but the, the team was full of talent that they could they, we knew they could do that it was just when they were going to get it out um, and they needed to do it obviously against Canada in the semi-final when they clearly started the New Zealand game thinking right we need to play expansive rugby or we won't get anywhere we can't maul the whole game but once you have both that gets New Zealand even more worried because then they've got to be worried about if England fake the driving wall then go out the back they've got all these great expansive backs again or you have to defend them all properly so I think it was just those first two tries for England to go 14 nil up with Scarrett making both conversions was just a real sign of intent and how like it kind of seemed like the game was going to go away from New Zealand before the red card because England had scored two tries pretty easily with not much response. 
Yeah, and I completely agree. And I think that obviously it's a shame about the red card for England, but also it's a shame for us watching because we would have, you know, got to see hopefully England show a little bit more of their backs play, a little bit more of those moves that I'm sure they were holding back until the final. Um, so we might have to wait a little bit longer until these teams meet again to to see though that exciting play. Um, but yeah, those those first few tries, you're right, they fully set out the intent and yeah, the momentum was with them. So who knows what could have happened. Yeah, well, I mean, we've, we've, we've sort of skirted around it, um, but we should address the big, um, well, red element, I guess, in the room. Um, Thompson getting a red card uh, in the 18th minute for a high tackle, um, head-to-head collision with Porsche Woodman. I mean, there's no complaints, really. It was, a, it was about as easy as a decision as you can get, but um, in, t- in terms of game-changing decisions and, and, and you know, game-changing uh, moments, that, 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 that's about as big um, as, as it can get. But I guess what I wanted to talk about, because obviously you, we, you know, we had the game up until then and then it became a very different game, it, it was, was, I guess, New Zealand um, and how they played with the, the extra um, player. You know, I think in rugby, more so than most sports, the, the player advantage is something that, that, that can be used very well and, and you would expect a team like New Zealand with the way they play, the expansive manner to, 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 to be able to best utilise that player advantage. But they didn't really, and, and, and England stayed in the game right, right up until the end. Um, I'll come to you first, Elise. Um, was it a case of New Zealand not making the most of it? Was it a case of England playing so well? Was it a, a combination? I don't, I don't really know how you see it. I think it was a bit of both. Um, I would have expected... New Zealand to run away with it from then. When that happened, I genuinely thought that it was over. You're right, the way New Zealand play, they favour that outside channel. So England losing uh, a winger in that moment, in the exact area that New Zealand are most dominant, um, was would have made such an impact, but it didn't. Um, and I think that's down to England's performance in stifling the Kiwi attack. I, th- I think that the, you know, all of the team played like absolute madmans, especially um, Ellie Kildun. That woman was everywhere, and credit to Holly Aitchison as well. She hasn't had an awful lot of game time this World Cup, but she was aggressive and dominant, um, and she really stood up to the plate. So I do think it's a little bit of both. New Zealand did get it out wide, and when they did, they did score. Um, but I just think that England are really good at that drift. They're really good at pushing them towards the touchline. And even when they were making those breaks, having those co- cover tackles, sh- shutting down those offloads, I think New Zealand by f- far, far and away are the team in this tournament looking at the stats who had the most offloads. Uh, and their scores off offloads were insane. Whereas uh, England are right at the bottom, of, bottom for that. So England did really well to shut that down and not allow them to run away with it and stay in for so long. Yeah, I think stifling of the offload was pretty important for England. I think I think they saw the blueprint in the semi-final against France, where France's big tackles were really stopping New Zealand from playing the style of rugby they wanted. And I think England responded really well after... Obviously, Woodman had to come off after the uh, red card incident because of her, um, her head injury. Um, and uh, Aisha Letiaiya scored 
in the 25th minute off what seemed to be like what was going to be the story of the day for England. I think New Zealand just got a pretty regulation ball through the hands down the line and Leti Aiga did an in and away on Kildan and scored in the corner and it looked as if they could have just done that all evening long and it was going to be that over and over and over again with England struggling to get anywhere but um, I think when you look at the tackle stats you can see there's England at nine of the top 11 tacklers from that game um, were English players uh, including Cabela who made 10 tackles even though she only played for half an hour perhaps showing the effort of every single player in that team to just get across cover two players with get everywhere and make sure they don't let New Zealand play the expansive brand that everyone knows they can play and everyone can see the type of players in their back line that you have to stop um, and I think England did a really good job of going back to their driving wall because they really had to after after they conceded that um, let's say you try um, England scored two try, um, another try from a driving wall just before half time um, which kept them in the lead which was so important going into the change of the half time kind of thing you want, to, you want to still be in the lead you want to still keep New Zealand chasing the game and you want to assume that you can stop their expansive rugby as much as possible Yeah I think, I think we should talk a little bit more about malls I, I think that we'll move on to England's malls in a second and we can kind of talk about you know there's been a lot spoken about whether or not England should have carried on um, playing those malls, whether or not they made the right decision at the end to have that um, line out into a driving mall. Um, but first of all, I just want to say that New Zealand as well, you know, we talk about England setting out their intention to play expansive rugby at the start, uh, you know, which contradicts what a lot of people would think um, they should play like. But New Zealand mauled too, and they got a good number of tries off, off a driving mall um, and they showed that, that they could do that as well so I have to give credit to both teams I think that they were both ready to show up to this final and say we know what's being written about us we're not going to fit into your box you know we're going to keep playing the style of rugby we want to but we're also going to show you that we can front up where you think we're weak um, and that's really important for the women's game moving forward is that these teams excel in all areas and they make these close clashes that are what make sports so exciting. Definitely. Um, I, think, I, think, I think you both touched on it perfectly and, and as we said it, 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 it became a bit more um, it became a bit more easy to predict as the game went on purely because England couldn't really um, play that expansive rugby that we saw in the opening sort of 10 minutes but I, I guess another point I wanted to look at was just you know we, we mentioned them all and we can talk about it a bit here but England's, um, you know, they, they obviously were, were facing waves and waves of pressure and, and, and sometimes it's quite easy when you get the ball or, or, or you know, you, you finally turn over the ball after, after all that pressure just to, to give it away or, or, you know, just to kick it straight upfield and invite another wave of pressure and, and to not make the most of, of what is still an unbelievable side regardless of whether you've got 15 women on the pitch or 14 women on the pitch. And I think their ability to be so clinical in creating and converting chances with, like, under those circumstances with 14 people on the pitch is so impressive and I'm not sure there's too many other teams in women's rugby who could have been able to, to sort of manage a game or, or keep themselves in a the game the way, that, the way that they did in that, in that sort of first half and second half. Yeah, I will say, do we think New Zealand would have been able to do that if the shoe was on the other foot? I don't know. I don't know. I think you're right. There aren't many teams that would be able to do that. Um, and I don't know that New Zealand would have 
would have been able to to pull that off. I think England have really benefited from how clinical and how professional they have been, and that's the way they've been trained to be. Um, we'll, we'll move on to the way England, um, you know, went went for those moles in a minute. But Amy Kakane, Amy when she got up from those uh, from t- taking those tries over the line. Um, Gosh, she looked so cold and just, this This is my job, I've done it, but I'm not getting excited, you know, this is just what we do and I'm going to go again and I'm going to keep doing it again and again and again. Um, and I think there's some crazy statistic about cocaine becoming the second man or woman to score a hat-trick in the Rugby World Cup final for any nation since 1998. Um, and she was absolutely incredible to, uh, on that day. Um, and she is an absolute credit to that England setup. Yeah, I think I was most impressed with her line-out throwing. Obviously, at least you've seen her for ages. But I think having not hyper-analysed many of the line-outs, watching her throw just the most consistent arrow from every single line-out was just so impressive to me. Having played hooker before, it's so difficult to get that throw right every time. But she was just like a laser beam throughout the whole time she was on the pitch. and just. Is so essential to England's more being successful. Is if, if any of those throws aren't straight, Davidson would have called them straight away. But Kikane was just so perfect with her throws throughout the game. It just really was something great to watch. Yeah, so there's been a lot said since. I've, I've seen articles online about whether or not England should have mauled so much, whether, whether they should have fallen back or turned back rather to their, to their pack to, to complete those mauls. Um, I would think that uh, you should go where you're, you know, you have that numerical matching, and where we know that um, really England and their pack have been more dominant than New Zealand's. Um, what, what do you think about that? What do you think the arguments are that that they should have kept going to their backs? I think once you've got the red card, you have to go safe. You have to go more. You have to go line out. You have. They had to do it. I think the only reason they were undone was New Zealand brilliance. They gave themselves as good a chance with the malls. They got us quite far ahead on the score as well. And I think it was just two pretty undefendable tries from New Zealand, which won the Kiwis the game, which I don't think England could have done much about. I don't think it was that they hadn't scored enough because the malls were... I mean, they scored four tries from malls. I mean, there's, there's quite a lot. Considering when you're one player down scoring at all, it's impressive. Normally, when you get a sin bin, you want to just make sure that the points are zero in that period. It's not... You get a red card and you think, right, let's go and score the most expansive trial we have all tournament and start running moves because you just put yourself at a lot of danger. Also, it's easier to line iron more because you're just waiting on the other team to make a mistake. You get the penalty, you kick to the corner, you get a rest when you go walk to the corner, score them all, you get a rest when you kick at points. So it's just, it's just easier than trying to run out with your backs every time and your forwards are shifting all the way across the pitch. I think it was just, it's the right decision to go to the mall once you've had so much success. But I mean, they scored over 20 tries with it. It's what tournament you have, you have to go back to it. Yeah, and we can't ignore the fact that you can't kick for that line out until the backs have done some work. It wasn't just the forwards on the pitch. You know, they did go to the outside edges and the outside channels. Um, I know that Abby Dow even made like semi-significant breaks at some point which is crazy considering that they were a player down so imagine what it would have been like if if someone else had been next to her Um, 
So we have to give credit to the backs that, that they weren't completely useless after those that 18th minute. Um, they did, they did, you know, square up and um, give the pack the opportunity to get that all over the line. Yeah, I also think playing one player down against probably the most destructive back line is very difficult when you look across the board of New Zealand, 9 to 15, every single one of those players is world class, including their subs. It's very hard to do anything against them. Definitely. Um, I think one, one thing I'd want to mention, um, and I think I, I, I agree with you both in terms of um, you know, playing the percentage rugby and, and falling back on their strengths, um, and that's, you know, that, that, that has to be the game plan when you go into to 14. Um, was, was, was there an argument, and at least I know you've, you've mentioned it, um, that in some cases, notably in maybe their subs or who they kept on and off the pitch, there could have been an argument for moving away from the percentage play. You know, we always talk about, you know, you always get all the, always get all the, the front rowers off. You know, Sarah Hunter always comes off early. She came off, I would say, most alarmingly early in this match, coming off basically at the start of the second half. Was there a case, um, maybe keeping Sarah Hunter on the pitch, um, cocaine, the way she was throwing at the line out, and England knew that was going to be their best chance? You know, was, was, was there an argument that although they got so much of it right that, that perhaps there was there was still room for a bit of creativity and maybe keeping some of those players on and really burning them to try and get the win could have been a could have been a, a tactic that, that they employed yeah I think that it's less about keeping those players on create for creativity um, I think that for me and I understand the argument in, in needing to change over and get those subs on but in that moment, considering what that game had become, I don't think Sarah Hunter should have been taken off at half-time. Um, I understand now she's 37, um, but in that moment, what was needed was level-headed leadership um, and you know, someone that had calm game management, someone that could just bring the team back together and go, right, you know, we're not going to panic. Um, and they, I'm not saying that they did in the second half, but and, and we have to bear in mind that we're talking about really fine margins. One line out, one successful line out, essentially was what was between um, New Zealand winning or, or England win, winning. So when when we're talking about this, we have to bear in mind that we don't know what what would have happened if, if Sarah Hunter had stayed on, whether or not it would have made a difference. But for me, I think that England needed that world class leadership. And taking her off, and then Packer off, Cocaine off, Allcroft came off, and then you add to that the fact that Leanne Infante pulled up in the final uh, hour, I think maybe the warm up or the day before in, in captain's run, um, with knee injury, bringing Lucy Packer on, who I think that that was either her fourth or fifth international cap ever to play a full 80 or well, she didn't play a full 80 Claudia McDonald came on but you know to, to play in such a pressurised environment so essentially they'd lost a lot of their key players um, voluntarily and I just think that that experience and, and that leadership was what was needed in that final half um, but yeah who, who knows what would have happened yeah I know we slightly disagree on this because I think Hunter has to come off because I just 
really appreciate cleaning the pitch box. You, um, again, it doesn't mean much because we don't know what the difference would have been made. But I think Oldcroft coming off so early was a big headache for Middleton because she gets through more work than most players on the pitch in every area, be it tackles, carries, other line out. She's also the other main jumper alongside Ward. So I think that was a big uh, loss in the first half. But then I really did not like Kikane coming off at all. I know we spoke about earlier. I think she was just so dialed in on the line out throw. And I'm not blaming Davies for the last throw because it was an incredible line out still from Jonah Nanwu. I don't think it was much to do with the throw. It was more New Zealand finally went up to challenge a line out and it was just a ridiculous line out still that you would get wrong nine out of ten times. But it's the one time Nanwu got a hand on the ball. But I just think that Kikane had it so dialed in that she would never have even had given them a chance. She would have just been a perfect throw, no matter what. Um, so I didn't like that. But I do think the bench was very impressive. And if England had scored that last trial, you would have said Middleton got it perfect. But it just it's so hard to gauge when it doesn't go right. And then it just seems like you could have had these leaders on the pitch. But um, yeah, we'll never know. I think it's just a compounding of a lot of things. You know, if if in any other game, Sarah Hunter coming off would, is fine um, because Infante would have been on the pitch. I mean, Emily Scarrett did play the full game, and she is another very calm head um, and experienced hand. But I, I just don't think you do that need that experience in the pack. Um, I think Cleo could have come on, and she could have played flank. Um, it, it's not ideal. Um, but maybe just Sarah Hunter just kept on a little bit, a little bit longer. But you know we don't have that insight that Middleton has. And you're right. If England had taken it over, then I would be saying, um, God, it was absolutely spot on. And and it, you know Sarah Hunter is also coming to the end of her career. You know I think we'll probably touch on the fact that whether we think Hunter is going to carry on playing for however long. Um, but England do need to get used to her not being there and if it was solely the fact that the captain was brought off um, then England wouldn't have deserved to win anyway um, so yeah fine margins always definitely um, I mean again we've, we've, we've mentioned it but we'll, we'll move I guess to the, the closing stages of the match and, and really it all hinges on as we mentioned that um, that final line-up, that final attempt at a, a, a driving wall, England had had an attempt that was brought down and they got close to the line and it had been pulled back for another penalty and, and they went to kick for the corner um, and, and as, as James said, it was, it was fantastically stolen and, and New Zealand were able to, to clear for the win. Um, again, I think we've, we mentioned it enough times when we talked about substitutions and all these things that if it goes right and if England take that take that uh, take that line out at the first at the first woman go maul it over score the try win the game it's fantastic and it is oh England's driving more wins it but you look back was there any scope to do anything different you know throw it to the back of the line out like Kane had been doing good maybe take a, a penalty a scrum which I know at least you you thought perhaps they could have done. Um, there's so many there's so many different ways they could have gone about it which you probably only look back on because they've lost but how did you sort of see those final minutes those final acts playing out yeah so right right at the start of those final minutes obviously Harrison had the option to kick for the corner and and enter that line out collapse line out a lost ball score 
kind of um, situation that happened. She wasn't to know that, of course. But there was also the option of kicking for post and going into extra time. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about that. I'm of the opinion that they did the right thing. I don't think that you would have wanted to, to take that chance of going into extra time still with only 14 players. Um, I think that they made the right decision there. Whether or not, yeah, they made the right decision thereafter is a bit more questionable. So, and they had their initial line out, didn't they? And then it was collapsed. Um, and then advantage was played. And then England either committed a knock on or they were off their feet. And it was brought back um, for that penalty. And then they kicked for the touch again and then went again with the line out. Um, I'd be really interested to hear James's opinion on this, uh, uh, having been a forward before, um, as to you know how many different options that, that they could have executed there. I know that they, they could have gone directly to the front and had that kind of piercing runner, I suppose. Um, David Flatman said it best. I think all New Zealand had to do at that point was put someone up in the air to compete for that ball. Um, New Zealand hadn't contested those lineouts that close to the um, try line at all during that game because they knew the threat but we also know that you can't defend an England lineout no matter how prepared and ready your forwards are yeah, that rolling mall off that lineout it's just it's just too difficult it's, it's so difficult to defend legally um, and that by putting someone up like that they actually showed that that, that is the way you defend England's play like that all you have to do is get that hand over that ball or put enough pressure on that that England are a little bit rattled about it. Um, yeah, well, James, do you, do you think they should have gone for that? I don't know if you would have called it A or, or what, but right at the front? Do you, think, think, do you think that was a bit bait? I think the front pod is extremely bait um, and I really don't like it, mainly because it was so all or nothing for New Zealand that they know they got away with it the one before they'd managed to get a very quick penalty collapse of them all to the point where Holly Davidson couldn't say that England were definitely going to score because you don't know that because it was, it was still five meters out but they managed to not legally sack it because that's the main aim if you can legally sack them all you're good gold dust you killed it but if you can't and you collapse it instantly and it's a penalty they ref can't give penalty try because it's too far out so I think once they tried that they realized there's there's no point in us if they catch it in Maul, we did everything and they're the best Mauling team like ever. So you just you just accept that. So we may as well throw someone up at the front if they've got their best line-out jumper right at the front. Surely they're not actually going to throw it to her. But if we put someone up at the front, you might distract the, the hooker. So I think New Zealand probably didn't expect England to actually throw it to Abby Ward at the front. Mm. And then when Jonah Nanru saw the ball right next to her, she thought, oh, I'll have that and I'll have a piece of this. When you just, you want England to just, you want England to back Mark Davies a bit more because obviously they I don't know who the lineup caller would have been I'm assuming it might have been Ward yes I don't know yeah. It is Ward. yeah so you'd want Ward to back herself in the middle of the lineup or towards the back because if you it also driving malls for England are very easy anyway but if you get a driving mall middle pod or the back pod you're definitely going to score and you, if you catch that back pod New Zealand have no chance of coming around quick enough to the back so you're just definitely going to score so it seemed England knew they had one option with Ward and it was very obvious that it was going to be Ward and she, she caught them on before at the front she's thinking I'll just do the same again 
But I, I just don't like that there's no, I'm not saying there's a lack of imagination, but I, but one of the finest teams I've ever watched across the board, for them to not come up with anything other than just the front pod was quite disappointing. I really would have liked a scrum, personally. I think you bring Cleal on at eight because she's the big ball carrier. And I know you're a player down in the backs, but if the eight picks up and the nine runs alongside, you even up the numbers on whatever side you go on. And again, the scrums contend just because you can lose a scrum quite easily. If the ball, if the feed isn't right, or if New Zealand get a quick early push, you can lose that scrum. But I think it's the same thing with the lineup. So I just would have preferred a scrum, middle of the pitch, Cleal pick the ball up. Either one hard carry, and then you play off there, or Cleal fake the hard carry past uh, McDonald's who was on at nine and then play off that. I just think it would have been a much better option, but it's so easy to say that in hindsight when England have got the best ball of the tournament and that I've kind of ever seen. So it's, I think, again, you have to play the percentages as a point in sport where you have to just think, right, we've done this so many times, we've scored off it, we need to do this now, it will win us this game. And I think it's more that New Zealand produced an incredible lineup still, which they hadn't done all game. And it was just a really miraculous lineup steal for them to kind of make incredible history rather than England fluffing it. I think it's more I think it's more obviously we're England fans, so it's harder to look at it from that way, but I think New Zealand produced something incredible in that lineup to be able to steal that legally. Because obviously you can get pinged for so many things, jumping across, taking out the jumper, there's so many things that can go wrong if you jump across a lineup and if you don't get the ball. So I think looking at it that way. I think it's more just an incredible moment for New Zealand than England really making because I don't think the throw was that bad and I don't think Ward did too much wrong with it. No, the the, the throw was perfect. It, it was perfect. I think, yeah, maybe, maybe they bottled it a little bit under the pressure, maybe, um, and didn't want to take that risk yeah. of and, and didn't want to back laugh as, as much. But I, I think you're completely right. New Zealand won that game. England didn't lose it. They absolutely deserved it. The way they played was fantastic, whether or not we should we think they should have won by a larger margin. But you know, they're playing against the number one team in the world and they had that confidence to f- face up to one of their most successful set pieces and the performance for that line out this World Cup has been sixteen out of seventeen successful and that's, that's, that's unimaginable. No other team performs like that. So, for for them to put it all out there and, and absolutely back their um, their girls to to get to get a hand in there and then you know ev- everything after that. Um, credit to New Zealand, they did brilliantly. And whether or not England bottled it by by going to the middle pod or the back pod, and you know. We'll never really know, um, but I'm sure they'll be analysing that for months and, and redoing it and going again and going again and going again. Yeah, I also think New Zealand did score one of the best tries in Rugby World Cup final history, which did win them the game, I think. Stacey Fluer is one of the most incredible players I've ever seen, and she just embodies everything that's good about rugby. She's just this smiling assassin who's so happy to be out on a rugby pitch, sprinting about, chasing after every ball, tapping people offloads she's everywhere she already scored a brilliant try at the start of the second half and then to kind of produce the match winning moment when you've had all this pressure on you and her and her inside centre partner Teresa Fitzpatrick linked up after a great cover kick and then an incredible offload to 
uh, Leti Aiga again to put New Zealand up into that last 10 minutes of the game. I think when you look at where New Zealand were this time last year, when they lost by over 30 points twice to England, and they were having an absolute shambles with their coaching with Glenn Moore on the way out and Wayne Smith coming in, I think this much progress, even with England a player down, to beat England in the way they did is absolutely remarkable. And I think the tries they scored in that game will be remembered for ages because Flula was just on a different planet in that game and just smiling through every moment of it after leading a very intense hacker in front of a sold out Eden Park. She's just on the rugby pitch smiling with her mates. It's just an incredible thing to watch. Yeah, and we have to also talk about Wayne Smith taking over from Glenn Moore. And one thing that I really like about him, he's not just turned around this New Zealand team, but he's really integrated himself into the women and the women's setup and what is needed to make them perform well, to get them to perform well. I think I think he did an interview or a podcast where he said, you know, the All Blacks, they're very um, internal and serious and in order to play well, they, they're, they're intense um, and hard on themselves. But with the women, they need to sing, they need to dance, they need to feel good in order to play good. And it's so impressive that he's tuned into that and that he's recognised that that's what's needed and, and that's allowed them to thrive. The way he's turned around that team is unbelievable and he should, you know, is he retiring now? I don't know, he's an absolute legend of the game. Yeah, I, I, I think he's retiring now. I think, I think he said that that would be his final, um, certainly his final international team. Um, and, you know, what, what a moment to go out on and... and I think it also, not that women's rugby needs legitimising, but we know what the Kiwi attitude or, or the Kiwi RFU's attitude in, in the past have, has been towards the women's game. Um, and his presence and his stamp of approval is something that I would hate to say, but him coming into this setup and saying, no, that these women are athletes. Um, and they're very impressive ones at that, and we should be respecting them. And, and we, and I'm going to show what you can do if you fully invest not just money, but everything that you have, and into making a team brilliant. Um, so that was incredible. And you're so right about Flula. Um, Flat said he's never seen anyone being so happy to come off in a World Cup final, and of course she wasn't happy to happy to come off. She was just enjoying the moment to be able to detach yourself from what's going on and to look up into that crowd and just think, God, what a moment! And I am coming off, but I've given it absolutely everything, and um, and look at what we've done. Um, that was a brilliant moment for me as well. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we 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 can talk um, all we like about you know what this means for England and, and all that but as you said it's worth recognising where New Zealand um, were and, and the struggles and the obstacles that they've had to overcome to get to this point so you know amazing for them to be able to achieve that in front of a, uh, a packed out Eden Park. Um, before I get on to the, well, before we get on to the um, sort of recap of what this means um, I think we should probably touch quickly on this England team uh, moving forward. Um, when we got inside the pub that we were watching it, um, we sort of accidentally walked into a Q and A with um, Hugo Monnier and uh, Giselle Mather, the the ex um, Red Rose, and and the question was asked, "What is next? Be that Sarah Hunter, be that um, Middleton?" And I think it was I think it was Hugo Monnier who said, um, 
it's sort of down to the players whether whether Middleton has got the buy-in from the players, whether they can say, yeah, actually, you're the person to take us through the next cycle. And that's 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 what he thought it hinged on. Um, at least you know you, you've you've been following the Red Roses, you know, the most out of us us three, and, and you know Middleton. This is now the end of his second World Cup cycle. Um, do, do you do you, do you think it will be a case of um, that he'll be able to get the buy-in from the players? You know, there is a lot of young players that are coming into this team. You know, Cabello is one who came off the bench, but there is also a lot of players who probably won't be there in four years' time. Maybe Marnie Packer, maybe Sarah Hunter, maybe Emily Scarrett. Is, is there a case that he's got to go with that generation and it's time for some fresh eyes and, and a fresh voice? Or, or do you think he is the person to take Red Rose into the next World Cup in four years? Yeah, I've, I've gone back and forth about this, right? Because Simon Middleton has been part of the England Red Roses setup for a very long time. I think he went to the Sevens coached the sevens for a bit and then came into the 15 set up in 2016 I want to say so he, he has been there for a long time and he was part of that World Cup squad um, in 2017 and um, a lot of people I think would say that when they lost in Belfast in 2017 that was his time to go that he failed I don't, I don't think that's the case I, I think that um, what he's shown since is that he's completely transformed this team um, is that his last bite at the cherry? I'm not sure if he's going to be there in the next World Cup. I think it's so difficult because it's not as if England went into this tournament and crashed out in spectacular fashion. But he did say at the start that anything less than winning would be failure. Um, and they did fail and he did fail. But it was by such a fine margin um, that I'm not sure. I'm not sure we can clamour for him to leave in the same way that people clamour for Eddie Jones to leave. Um, he's been outstanding, and, and he does make the girls perform well as well. They they obviously respect him a lot. I do think that it's time for a change up, though. Um, whether it's now or whether it's after this next Six Nations, you're right. There are a lot of there's a lot of young blood coming through. There are a lot of um, senior girls that will be leaving in the next couple of years. Um, I, I think that I respect the set piece enormously and what they've done with it there. Um, credit to Deacon when he was appointed that forwards coach. He their forwards coach. Sorry, he he's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, what what he's done with that team and. and athletes that he's produced and, and the quality that they produce um, but I would love to see a bit more imagination and a little bit more creativity especially when it comes to the backs um, and I think that the other thing I'd love to see is more women in the setup um, I know that Amy um, I think Amy Turner had a stint in the Red Roses setup as well. I'm not sure if she's still involved or if she's gone to Ealing. Um, but I do think it's important to have a woman in the setup, and I don't think that it should be done in a tokenistic way. I think that it's important to understand the mindset of these women and where they've come from, and that it's invaluable to have gotten through the Red Roses and then. Um, to have come out the other side and, and that, that someone like that, someone like Joe Yap, someone like Giselle, who, who was, yes, I, I, 
at that um, watch party that we were at in the pub. Um, someone like Susie Appleby, maybe Amy Garnett, all of these fantastic ex-Red Rose coaches. I think they'd be able to offer a lot, maybe not in the head coach position, who knows, although some of them do have the credentials to now do that. I'd like to see them more involved. Um, and yeah, I do think it's, I th do think that Simon Middleton's time is going to come. I'm not sure that it's right now though. I think he's got another year or so um, left. I think coming from more of an outside view, having not watched too much women's rugby before the tournament, um, I was quite impressed with how Middleton stuck to his guns, even despite the criticism. Because obviously having been the most successful rugby union test side the game's ever seen, they had enormous pressure at every level to win every game and to win the final. Um, and I know they didn't do that, but I think the way they played was kind of Middleton trying to ensure that they did win and go with the low risk method. I think the more so much to talk about it, but it is the main talk. You want, do you want England to play more expansive rugby, or do you want them to maul every game and win by loads and loads and loads of points just off mauls? It's tough, and I think it's a real shame about the red card because I feel like Middleton had unleashed this extra game plan. We saw a tiny, tiny snippet of it in that second minute try, and then you just don't know. Like if England had scored fifty points all from backline moves we'd be like oh it is there he was just saving it just get making sure you get through those tough rounds and there was that crazy try in the Canada game which Dow scored you think oh it is in there they, they do want them to play like this it is there just trying to get over the line first so I just don't think he's been helped too much by the circumstances yeah I think the red was a big problem I think the red just just ruined any chance to play the free-flowing rugby he, he I assume, wanted to because the, the first minute of the attempt was so clear. Get up there on the pitch, ping the ball out, score in the corner, have that New Zealand. This is how you want to play. We're going to do it right to you. We've got all the talent right here to do it. But I think I've seen a lot of people saying that like most good coaches could have done similarly with that team, which I think is a bit unfair given how much work and time Middleton has put into it. But I don't know. if It is such an elite group of players. I don't know if at least you think that would be true. Um... Yeah, I, are you saying that you think that they're, they're so talented that no matter who was coaching them, they would have succeeded? To an extent, yes. To an extent, yeah. Um, he, there's an argument for that, but they're so good because I believe that Simon Middleton has created the environment for them to be that good. Um, I, I, I Thinking about it, now I thought about it, I think that this is a new era of women's rugby from now on more teams are professionalising, more nations are professionalising, they're going to have that talent pool to draw from and it's going to become much more competitive and these teams are going to be finding ways to stop that England more and then they're going to have to adapt and they're going to come up, have to come up with new things um, and with that new era Simon Middleton has done absolutely incredibly to take them through that transitionary period into these three years of professionalisation now is it time for someone to come in and say, I've got the reins from here and I'm going to be the fresh eyes going into this new era. Yeah. yeah. Difficult. It is difficult, but I can, I can see that argument. Um, I just don't... It's so difficult because he's not done anything explicitly wrong. We can criticise one or two decisions that would have made up those fine margins, but you're right, we didn't get to see everything that they had in the back pocket.
Time will only tell. Um, I think just to finish, um, you mentioned it briefly there, at least. You know, look, looking at this tournament as a whole and and really as a a marker post for for what a great tournament it was. I mean, those that that final and those two semi-finals are up there with three of the best games of rugby that I've that I've watched, and and it's such a signal of intent of what is possible when you give anybody, male or female, four years of time to just train at a given craft. I mean, Canada weren't even um, weren't even given that time and they still turned out to be you know, one of the best teams in this tournament. But, you know, looking forward and in, and, in, and in four years' time and even in, you know, Six Nations tournaments to come and in Autumn Internationals and, you know, in the Southern Hemisphere, the tournaments they'll have, the, 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 the quality is only going to is only going to get better and, and England came into this tournament this undefeated um, entity and, and you know we, we might never see a, another England team like that not because they'll decrease in standard but because the standard is just going to get raised exponentially by everyone else around them so I, I, I don't know sort of how you view this tournament or where you think it goes from now but it, it, it's got to be something that the world rugby has got to grab and, and, and make sure that these changes do make these changes are made. They've got to grab hold of this moment. Um, the excitement that's been created, there were 1.7 million people watching in the UK, watching that final. Um, and that says something about the commercial and financial viability of women's rugby. If anyone's still in any doubt about that, um, and a sold out Eden Park crowd, 42,579 people. And when I looked at that as a women's rugby fan, I was genuinely astounded. I never thought, or I didn't think for many, many years we would see a crowd like that, not just all those people turning out, but the enthusiasm and the impact you can see on all of those young people that were there, um, and boys and girls, and they were they were screaming Ruby Tui's name. Even the boys, Ruby, 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 like like that's so cool. And it just goes to show that a great role model is a great role model. Um, this is a huge turning point for women's rugby. If these governing bodies can capitalise on that, you know, fund grassroots, get women's rugby get girls rugby into schools introduce them this sport to these girls younger that is a real key that, that the skill is only going to go up and the standard is only going to go up if you get people playing earlier so that they can get those basic skills down um, I'm so excited really really excited for the future I think it's going to be brilliant yeah I think for me, having not watched very much women's rugby at all prior to this tournament, I think you kind of realise how kind of silly you were before. Perhaps I think when I was growing up, just thinking it was a worse game, it was a slower game, and it's just so, so wrong to have thought like that in hindsight. Because you, I mean, I was so excited. I'd be waking up at four in the morning to watch anyone play, didn't matter who it was. As long as there was someone on, I'd go up, get up, watch that game. And you just get so invested because you realise it's all the same reasons you kind of fell in love with the sport before, but you just get to watch more of it with more incredible stories. And I think that culminating in 
us going to a pub granted in a very popular rugby area but I think at least seeing someone like you who's followed the women's game for so long so happy with your mates watching this game in a full pub in England at half six in the morning is kind of what it's all about you can kind of see the growth so obviously um, when you go to kind of watch party like that you can see how everyone and even though it wasn't the result for England everyone's still there kind of heart in mouths this incredibly tense moment leading up to this unbelievable final one of the greatest games of rugby that will be remembered forever kind of thing I think it's up there with like the 95 men's final just these monumental moments where sport is just so perfect it's just even as a sad England fan it's just such a perfect game of rugby where anything and everything in that game that could have happened pretty much happened and it's just such a wonderful advert for the sport and I think seeing we've already mentioned Ruby Tui is just the most ridiculous ambassador for a sport you could ever find she was giving unbelievable interviews at the sevens and the Olympics and then after all these games and then her interview after the game today when she's just there starting to sing with all the people in Aotearoa 40,000 people and Ruby Tui starts singing with the whole stadium uh, it's just amazing and then you see the whole women's team just doing the hacker in front of the crowd and it's just such a proud moment for New Zealand players and it's just I've loved every minute of this World Cup yeah she didn't I mean she didn't only sing with them she got them singing and there was a brilliant moment where she started she went you know New Zealand and then started singing that song and when they sang back to her you could just see it in her face there was that split second where she was like oh. They're, they're with me, the whole stadium. Um, it was incredible. And I think something that wasn't really shown on the, on the broadcasting, maybe it was after they'd finished rolling, was that she gave away her gold medal. Um, that's crazy. And, and you know, that's, that's a real moment for her. And that girl that she's given that to, you know, that's gonna stay with her forever. And you're right, the most important thing about this World Cup final and the thing that it's shown is that rugby is rugby and there are great stories and great narratives in every game if you just put aside any preconceptions that you had about what you thought women's rugby was going to be because there were people across social media on Saturday who were singing the praises of that Red Roses team and there were ex uh, ex-rugby players, ex-professional rugby players who were tweeting about it that I'd never seen tweet about women's rugby before and it's really great for them to tweet and to show such enthusiasm and be enjoying it so much but don't just turn out on those occasions we need these people to constantly be tweeting about women's rugby you know, I watched this game or I'm watching this game, it's brilliant everybody go and watch You know, it's not just down to them but it does help and it wasn't just a great game of women's rugby. It's a great game of rugby, and actually, it's a huge advert to the men's to men's rugby as well. And you know, the England men can learn a lot from the England women. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a great way to end it. Um, a fantastic tournament, um, an amazing final, and 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 yeah, certainly the end of um, one chapter. Um, for women's rugby but, but hopefully um, just one part of, of what is an exciting story to come um, so thank you everyone uh, if you've listened to, to any of the podcast to, to this podcast um, and hopefully we'll be back um, in the coming months to chat more about uh, women's rugby when we can